and support of these men. Thank you for being here, family. It goes a long way when they know that they have loved ones that can lift them up, that can show up for them, that can support them. You want to know what's interesting about that, too? It's, it's so timely because today we're continuing our series through the book of Ephesians. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, we see this picture. We see this story, a part of the transformational work of Jesus Christ that he does in the lives of people who come to him. And specifically, he does so, as we're going to see, in such a way that does not hold discrimination. <laughs> you know what I love about this church? I mean this, I mean this literally. We are incredibly diverse. We're a small church, but we're a diverse church. We represent what the kingdom of God ought to look like. We, we have, we, we've got some Filipinos in here. We've got some Puerto Ricans in here. We've got some African Americans in here. And we've got some white people in here. And can I just say, I'm white. I mean, like, it's just white on my head. Sometimes I'm worried about the reflection that's going to blind you when these lights come off of me. But that's who, come on. Don't, don't, you guys can't laugh at me. No, you can't laugh at me. That's the whole point. It's timely, though, the way that the Lord works, because can I tell you what? Uh, while that's something that I'm passionate about talking about, I kind of felt like we needed a break from that. Like with everything going on in the country and all, all everything that just happened since, since March of 2020 or even before that, it was just kind of getting exhausting. And then I, I open up my word. And I'm getting ready to continue through the book of Ephesians. And Paul talks about diversity. And he's talking about ethnic, religious diversity between two significant groups of individuals, uh, groups of people in Scripture. Traditionally, Gentiles and Jews. Two completely counterintuitive groups of individuals that have almost nothing in common other than the fact that they breathe the same air. And Paul now addresses the importance of when we come to Jesus and we're redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we are now all considered one. Can I tell you, I kind of didn't want to talk about that. And again, not because I'm tired or I'm afraid. It's because I feel like I've talked about it too much. And I wanted to take a break from it. But then God said, no, you don't get to. Here's my word and here's what it says. And so when these guys came here and they, and they started talking and, and praising, and that just overwhelms me. Whenever men... Ladies, this is nothing against you. You worship. Women of God, you worship. But the church is lacking men to worship. And we had a group of men up here worshiping, and I, I can't handle it. That's why I said thank God for the mask. You can see a lot of ugly happening up under, under it. So today we're going to talk about transformation. Specifically, let me say it this way. God wants to transform our understanding of community. We're going to see in Ephesians today how God wants to transform our understanding of what it means to be a part of this community. This blood-bought, restored by Jesus Christ community. Now, last week in chapter 2, Paul presented a problem that all of humanity faced. 
he talks about the fact that we were all dead in our trespasses. Because of sin, every human being, without discrimination, was dead before God. There was this separation because of the sin that was in our life. That could have come from drug addiction. That could come from sexual immorality. That can come from lying. That can come from murder. That can come from stealing. That can come through embezzlement. You name it. Sin is there. From the greatest degree to the littlest. And he talks about that in the first 10 verses. Now, in verse 11, we're going to see how Paul wants his readers to remember where we came from. Last week... Paul wanted his readers to remember the fact that all human beings without discrimination needed to remember the fact that you were once sinners, but now you are saved by grace. But he doesn't stop. In verse 11, he now says we need to remember the fact that we all came from a place where at one point in our lives we felt estranged. We felt like we didn't belong. Maybe because of the color of our skin. Maybe because of the baggage of sin that we've carried. Today, Paul's attention now shifts to the importance of bringing unity to the people of God. Who are made up of some of the most diverse individuals. God wants to transform our community. Now let me just give you this idea of... Uh, I, I had somebody that I knew when my wife and I were actually out in Washington, someone that I respect greatly and I care deeply for. But you know when you've met an individual that you just like kind of instantly are like, we don't have anything in common. You do you, I'm going to do me. We can be acquaintances, but nah, it's, it's, it's not going to work. I met someone like that. And let me tell you, I had to work with them. Uh, and we were both pastors. So I had to show the love of Jesus, and he too. Can I tell you, we were so diametrically opposed to each other in every way, shape, or form. I mean, I like to lift weights. He's a cross-country runner. And if you're somebody who takes lifting weights seriously, you know that you ought to run for the sake of your heart, but you don't want anything to do with running because you hate it. It's boring. You don't like it. Or maybe you're somebody who likes a particular sport. And you, like, you say, all right, I'm well-conditioned because I get to play that sport, but I don't do cross-country. I don't do marathons. That's what this guy was. I love basketball to an almost unhealthy obsession, I'm realizing. He loved golf. I don't play golf. I don't even know how to swing that thing, man. Bill, I'm sorry. I know you like golf. <laughs> Nothing wrong with golf. It's not for me. I mean, even it came down to the way that we preferred to preach was completely opposed to each other's preference. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, I got to work with this guy. We got we to reach people for Jesus, but we just, it's like oil and water. Have you ever, like, known someone like that? Have you ever had a relationship or tried to have a relationship with someone like that? Well, the body of Christ is made up of oil and water and, I don't know, uh, glue, maybe some glitter thrown in there, I don't know. Th those aren't subliminal messages for anything. I'm just saying they're just different substances. That's what the body of Christ is made up of, and yet we are one body. We are called to be unified in one accord. So let me tell you why I say that. 
Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11, it says this. Therefore, remember, underline that word if you've got a Bible in front of you or on your phone's highlighted. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, parenthetical phrase right here, which is done in the body by human hands. We're going to talk about that. Verse 12, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. That last phrase right there, without God in the world, is literally where we get the word atheist from. In the Greek, it's the letter alpha by theist, the idea of a antagonist against God. In other words, the culmination of what Paul is getting at here in referring to the Gentiles is not only were you belittled because of your birth, because of what marked you by your physical appearance by others who are a part of the faith. Not only did you feel that you were foreigners and strangers living in a territory that you felt you had no place in. Not only did you feel that there was no hope, but ultimately, when faced with the reality of the one true God, you chose because of your past to put yourself in a position where I choose not to believe that God. Remember, being an atheist is a choice. It is a choice. All right, so let's talk about this for a second. In order to appreciate this this aspect of community, of uh, the community of Christ, which was, as we talked about last week, given through grace. It's a gift. If you're here today and you think right now that in order to be a part of the community of Christ, that you have to build yourself up into something before you are worthy to be accepted, that is a lie from Satan himself. You do not have to prepare yourself or ready yourself, or perfect yourself to receive what God freely gives to all those who want to receive it. Now, in light of that free gift of grace, here's what Paul is saying. We must remember that our position before Christ lacked privilege. When I read this, I got a little bit uncomfortable. I was like, Paul, why are you going here? Because before he continues to point our hope to Jesus, he's now focusing specifically on the Gentiles, on the marginalized, on the individuals who were looked down upon by the circumcision, the Jews, the people who were lofty in their religious rights. And he goes right for the Gentiles and he goes, Gentiles, I want you to remember who you were before. We don't like to do that in society. It's don't think about who you were. Think about, you know, who you are now, which I do think is important. But Paul's getting at something here. He's getting at the fact that in order for us to fully appreciate what Jesus gave us, we've got to remember what he brought us out of. Otherwise, we're going to take that gift that was bought with the precious blood of Jesus, the greatest currency that could ever be found in this world and the next. And we're going to take that gift and we're going to say, cool, I'll use this when I need it. Otherwise, pick the rug up, kick it underneath, throw the rug down. 
And then when life gets hard, we're saying, where would I leave that gift? Where would I leave that freedom? Remember that our position before Christ lacks privilege. So let's talk about a little bit of what we just read. First of all, we need to remember where we came from because it keeps us from two particular mindsets. Number one, it keeps us from taking for granted the privileges that we now have in Christ, which is what I just talked about. But the number two, think, listen to me, it keeps us from thinking that we're better than anyone else. Because there comes a point in time in our deliverance, in our life, and maybe, maybe it's with Jesus, maybe you've gotten really far without him, which, careful, because the fall is coming. Um, no matter where you're at, but especially with Jesus, there might come a point in time where you think, okay, I'm doing pretty good right now. And in fact, we become tempted to look at the downfalls and the shortcomings of others and their problems and their addictions and their sin. And now we use them as a barometer, as a measuring stick to say, at least I'm not there. I'm good. And we use it to justify the impending doom that we know that's coming because we're creeping slowly back further towards the temptation that God once delivered us from. So the importance of remembering that before coming to Christ, we lack the privileges that come with being a son of God, a daughter of God. Remember, it keeps us from for taking for granted the privileges we now have in Christ, and it keeps us from thinking that we're better than anyone else. Paul then goes on in verse 12, and he says this. He says, remember that when you were separate from Christ, you were also excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were foreigners. You did not have part in the covenant of the promise. You were without hope. You were without God in the world. So he uses a lot of words there. He pointed out uncircumcision. It's a bodily representation within the ancient Near Eastern world that if you were circumcised, you were a part of the Jewish race. You were the people of God. You were the chosen ones, which is true. It is. We know that biblically. But that position was never to be used in a way to allow yourself to think you're better than anyone else. Because the Jews, just as in God's choice of them, were living representations of this gift of grace. Father Abraham did absolutely nothing to deserve the choice that God said, it's going to be through you that I'm going to make a great nation. Israel, the Jews. But unfortunately, at some point, that got warped. And they walked around and saying, unless you look like us, unless you talk like us, unless you smell like us, no. You're not worthy. You're not good enough. Paul's saying, you were uncircumcised. It is reality. You were. You were separate from Jesus. You were without citizenship. You were foreigners. You were not a part of the covenant that God made with Abraham to bless and to make into a great nation and to give you promised land. You weren't. Matter of fact, you, you had no God. You refused to believe in the one true God. All of this culminates in the reality of, of this thought. I don't belong. I don't belong. And Paul's saying, I want you to remember that feeling. I don't belong. There's no place for me. Yeah, that's where you were. It's kind of this weight that's building. I think that weight is building in this place here today. And he goes further and he says, all of this came not because God is a mean and angry and horrible spiteful God, but because of our association with the world, 
If you go back and you read earlier in chapter 2, that's specifically one of the reasons why we were dead in our trespasses. It was because we followed the patterns of this world under whom the prince of the ruler of this world has set his dominion. That's referring to Satan. And he's saying, you were locked up in this because of the life that you were in. Now, now, stay with me here. Seems like Paul is really focusing his attention on the Gentiles in this moment. But in that parenthetical statement, when he says, you were labeled as uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, he puts in parenthetical statement, which is done in the body by human hands. This is important. Track with me. He's referring to, again, this idea of circumcision. Try not to get all picturesque here, so you all know what I'm talking about. This word is used, the word for circumcision is used in the Old Testament. Literally, it's the same word for the making of idols. And if you know anything about the Bible, you know that in the Old Testament, within the Ten Commandments itself, God said, you shall have no other gods before me. There was this proclivity, this temptation to chop down a tree, make a beautiful cutting board. I'm not picking on you guys uh, because I love those cutting boards. Uh, And and make that and say, this is beautiful. It's going to be our God. And there were literally ritualistic rites where they would sacrifice and pray so that spiritual forces would inhabit those man-made idols and then they would get down they would pray to it they would sacrifice children to it this was the pagan world that god says you shall have no part of so just a side note but you need to do a little bit more history before you get too upset with the standards that god set in the old testament There was a reason why, because there was some messed up stuff that was going on in the world. So the same word that's used for circumcision is the same word here in this context that's used for the making of idols, idolatry. This word specifically implies action on the part of people performed within their own strength which is in direct contrast to the gift of grace so let me let me just break this down for you right here i'm going to give you a, a point your holiness has nothing to do with your hands doesn't you have the jews and you have the gentiles And the Jews are over here saying, hey, if you want to be a part of what we've got going on over here, then here's what you need to do. Fill in the blank. And they were walking around saying the reason that we have a right to impose this kind of standard is because look at how far we've come. Look at what we've been able to accomplish with these two hands. If you want to do it, then you got to conform to our standard. Paul, in this, in this identification of these circumcision, is saying, listen, they have completely mishandled God's original intention of circumcision. That was to be a mark signifying that God chose you in spite of you being undeserving to be choosed. But they've taken that and they've allowed that to develop into this illegitimate standard that they're now imposing on everyone else. In order for you to be worthy, you must fill in the blank, accomplish it with your own strength. That's not the way God works. 
what I really like about this is that it almost seems, it almost seems in this moment, like I can imagine Jews and Gentiles who are together and they hear this letter being read out loud in a church gathering or wherever. And I can imagine as Paul starts talking about the uncircumcised and they were without hope, they're probably like, hey, you listen to this is for you. You need to listen to what the preacher's saying right now. Come on, we've all done that before. <laughs> and that parenthetical statement right there, it's like you got the Jews going like this, and then you got the Gentiles. Man, did you hear what he just said? He's talking to you too. There is nobody who is able to be alleviated from the necessity of hearing the word of truth. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how many addictions you don't have. I don't care how good your kids are. I don't care how pretty you are or how affluent you are. I don't care what kind of influence you carry in the political world. I don't care the car that you drive. I don't care the house that you live in or the houses that you live in. It doesn't matter because before God, all of us are worthy. Paul sets this weight. It's like he just let it hang in the air, and he goes, Gentiles, remember who you are. Jews, don't forget. You're no better, but Gentiles, remember. I'm talking about you for a moment. This is who you were before Jesus. Now there's this weight. It's like, all right, Paul, it's kind of depressing. Why are you reminding me about where I came from? Why are you reminding me about what makes me different? Verse 13. You know, God never, never just lets that weight hang over us. Because in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. Here it is, verse 13. But now, you once were, remember that. Don't forget that. So that you will appreciate the weight of what is now. Here it is, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The word here for brought near in the Greek language is, has a passive voice, which literally means for application, you don't do it. Jews who before were saying we're the circumcision because we do it. No, no, no. You misinterpreted and misconstrued and deviated from God's plan. God chose you, and now he has chosen everyone so that those who were far away, they didn't need to find the way. They didn't need to search for it. They didn't need to prove it. They didn't need to earn it. They were brought to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 14. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. This literally means hostility directed towards each other, human beings. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Point out one more thing about that. That, that idea of setting aside. Maybe if you have a particular translation. You might say abolish or dismantle. But here's what literally it means. It means to render inoperative or ineffective. It doesn't mean it was destroyed and wiped away. It means that it once maintained a purpose that it served but now jesus christ has rendered its service no longer needed 
stay with me. This dividing wall is what we need to talk about that Jesus destroyed through his sacrifice on the cross. The dividing wall specifically here refers to the Mosaic law. Track with me. Jews follow the Mosaic law. To this day, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible are what Jewish believers follow. It's important. It's the law. It was the standard that God set. And here's really what the law represented. It represented a standard of here is what you need to do in order to be holy before God. If you don't follow this, you're living in sin. And where sin is, there can be no association with God. So if you want to have an association with God, follow this law. They tried, they failed. They tried, they failed. They tried, they failed. God always knew that, but he needed to show the world that in spite of your best efforts, in spite of you trying to conjure up every bit of self-will in order to accomplish it, you just won't be able to. Paul himself, who wrote this, was a Pharisee of Pharisees of Jewish heritage who said, I was the greatest of Pharisees. I followed the law like no one else. I was the best of the best. And all of my righteousness that I did of my own accord were like filthy rags before the Lord. It didn't mean a thing. So when Jesus came, he saw this dividing wall of hostility. You had some individuals on one end of the spectrum, the Gentiles who were seeing these standards and were, were being real about it, saying, I can't do that. I can't fulfill that. I can try, but I can't. And on the other side, you had the Jews who were saying, yeah, but we can. And if you want to be a part of us, you got to do it the way that we do it. There was this idea of proselytizing. In other words, you take on the way that we look, the way that we talk, the way that we act, the way that we live, and every bit of custom that comes with that. Only then will you be able to be worthy. That's a false message. And Paul is saying Jesus Christ saw that wall that for one group left them feeling like they were worthless. I can never attain to that. And another group who was using that to puff themselves up and make themselves feel good and, and throw and swipe the, sweep the sin under the rug, he abolished it. That law, that standard. So again, I, I just want to emphasize that, that, that fact that, that for the Jews in this moment, rather than using the law as a witness to say, hey, man, God set your standard. And we want you to know that he chose us, but even us as chosen ones, we can't do it. We can't do it. We're no better than you. He just chose us because he wanted to, through us, exercise his immeasurable grace and love. It's not that we're better than anybody else. It's just God had to choose someone to be his instrument to bless the whole world. But they didn't do that. Rather than allowing that to be a tool for witness, it became a tool that enabled them, listen to me, it enabled them to look down on others whom they considered lesser or sinners. It seems to be a problem that we see in our world today that just hasn't left. This section points out two important points for application for us. Number one, your faith must never become a means of discrimination. It's the first thing. There's too much of this. And, and, and I'm not here to call out any church because I feel that's wrong to do. But the bottom line is the church has, in certain ways, shirked its responsibility of looking to God's word to understand, hold on, hold on. What is the gospel message of Jesus Christ? It's one that doesn't show discrimination. It's one that recognizes that we are all sinners saved by grace and God does not show favoritism. So your faith must never become a means of discrimination. 
the Israelites allowed that Mosaic law to be the standard that gave them the feeling to justify their discriminatory feelings towards others. Let me just say it this way. Don't confuse conviction with condemnation. Paul talks about this in Romans, the same author of this. He says, there are some of you that feel that you need to live a certain way. And this is where I, I, I refer to it that a pastor showed me or illustrated this way. Within the church, within the faith, there are open-handed and there are closed-handed items. This could, get, this could get messy. Open-handed items are things that Scripture doesn't directly or even inadvertently talk about. It could be, I feel, Esther, I always pick on you if you don't mind right now. Esther, she loves to wear her head covering in church because of an interpretation of 1 Corinthians. Now, we've talked about it in our church how that is an improper interpretation if you set it as a standard. Because it had to do with cultural customs within the day that women were nullifying their God-given directive to be witnesses. It, it was very cultural. I, I can't get into it today. But Esther, she's free to practice that because of a personal conviction that she has. It would be wrong of, of her to say, no, all you women got to be wearing head coverings in the church. Just as it would be wrong of us to say, hey, Esther, you, you should not be doing that. You should feel bad for doing that because why do you have that conviction? You know, you don't know Jesus well enough. You don't read your Bible well enough. You, you, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing that to you, Esther. I'm just, thank you. You, you know, there, there's this idea where we might have a personal conviction about things. So that's an open-handed item. There's a closed-handed item stuff that we're not going to we're not going to shake on the bible is the infallible inspired word of god of a rule of faith and conduct jesus christ is the only way to the father no one comes to him except through him so those are just some closed-handed items that scripture's clear about so in talking about these open-handed items where growing up for me it was you know you got to wear a suit to church you, you got to look good you got to give god your best going to church for me, as a pastor, to impose that upon a church, that would be wrong, because that could be a personal conviction. I, I could dress however now. I don't care. Sometimes I look good. Sometimes I look like a bum. But um, it's okay, because it's not about me. So listen, don't confuse conviction with condemnation. Let's keep going. Jesus doesn't share the stage. I'm just going to leave that right there. He doesn't share the stage. Listen, when we start to grapple with this aspect of, this is, the, this is the flip side of condemnation-free faith. When we start to grapple with that idea, which is true, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation-free faith, that's how it should be. When we start to grapple with that, the devil is a liar. Because here's what he's going to try to do to manipulate and twist and poison that true, beautiful, theological reality of grace. There's the temptation to take that condemnation-free faith too far when we lack proper judgment. A taboo word in this world that we hear all the time is judgment. Don't judge me! Don't judge me. Um, you know, the Bible talks extensively about judgment, and it's a good thing. What Satan has done is he has manipulated the word and replaced definitions through feeling. Listen to me. And he has 
allowed, in our minds, judgment to become synonymous with condemnation. Judgment literally is the idea of evaluation. We have judges in sports today. You foul them. You're going to get called out for the foul because there are standards. You drive on the wrong side of the road, you're going to get a ticket. It's a standard. You do something to a degree that's wrong, you're going to go to jail. You disobey your parents, your parents, according to the standards that they set in the house, are going to enact punishment through the evaluation, the judgment. And it's all supposed to be for our benefit. In fact, the Bible talks about one day we will all be judged for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. And it's within the context of speaking to believers. We're not talking to unbelievers. We're talking to believers, people who are bought with the precious blood of Christ who know I'm going to live for the Lord. So if judgment is biblical, then why do we get so offended whenever someone says something that makes us feel uncomfortable? Maybe because it's something we need to hear that we don't want to listen to. Here's the other problem. Here's the other problem. When I say Jesus doesn't like to share the stage, uh, I'm meaning it specifically about this other avenue that this idea of condemnation free faith can take that's the wrong avenue. And I, I'm not going to go into it, but let me just give you a big word that's hard to say, antinomianism. It's this old philosophical system that was born out of Christianity that was completely heretical, completely false. And it's something that I see readily established in churches today. It's this idea that grace is like a credit card that has an unlimited spending limit. Sin. Oh, man, blood of Jesus Christ sets me free. And we just go right back to it again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And when somebody tries to, in love, speak truth, a believer saying, hey, I've noticed this about you, and that's why I'm coming to you privately because I just want to share the Lord has laid in my heart. It's clear according to the word that that's not something that believers should be constantly going into. And then we say, don't judge me. You've now confused the importance of judgment with condemnation. You're saying you're condemning me. That believer is coming to you in love saying, I care so much about you that I'm willing to open my mouth even if it makes both of us uncomfortable because I don't want to see you walk off a cliff that you will not be able to come back from. Don't mess it up because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So ultimately what happens here, when Jesus comes into the scene, he renders the means of division as inoperative. He says, all right, the Mosaic law has been twisted and misused. Some don't understand it. Others are completely twisting its purpose. Jesus says it's done. The righteous requirements are still the standard, but I fulfilled them. You don't have to. Every law, every ritualistic rite, every pattern, it's done. I've done it. You just receive what I have accomplished and now give to you. That impartation of redemption, of righteousness. got a plan 15b his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two there it is again one out of the two he's already used that phrasing in the previous verse go back and read it now we see it again his purpose was to create in himself one 
new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Now, what's interesting here is we saw hostility before that was in context was hostility towards each other. Now, this specifically is hostility that we exhibit towards God. Now, Paul wants us to see that Christ didn't die on a cross just to stop discrimination, but to establish a new form of community. Here's the temptation that we can now fall into. My diversity is what defines me. That's also a lie. Stay with me. New humanity here literally means one race. Paul just said that. He said his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. That's not my own rendering of this text. That's from going back and studying the original Greek of what Paul himself wrote. Paul himself is saying what once divided you based on ethnicity, based on religion, based on culture, maybe not even bad things, maybe good things, can no longer be the standard. Because when your ethnicity, your particular preferences of religion, I'm not talking about Christianity, I'm talking about, again, those open-handed items of what I think is right. Now, in order for you to be a true Christian, you got to wear a suit, that kind of stuff. Saying when, when you take ethnicity, religion, family, upbringing, cultures, and you make that the standard, nobody can conform to that. I'm white. I can't conform to be black, even if I want to. I just can't. So whether you're white, you're black, you're Asian, you're Hispanic, whatever you are, it's not something to be ashamed of. But the enemy now wants you to say, no, I'm bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And now he wants you to twist that and say, therefore, if you want to be like me, you've got to worship the way that I worship. You've got to like the music that I like. You've got to talk the way that I talk. You've got to dress the way that I talk. You've got to know the things that I know. Now, once again, we've twisted the gospel. Jesus says, Paul says, Jesus says through Paul, let there be no confusion. Jesus didn't come to us to just flip the script and to say, okay, Jews, you had your turn. Now, Gentiles, it's your turn to be at the top of the mountain. No, no, no. I'm sorry what the Jews did. They were never supposed to do that. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I'll repay. I'll take care of what they've done that they never had any right to do. Within the kingdom of God, now we all conform to this pattern that Jesus has set. Let's talk about that pattern. Well, a point that I just made that I didn't throw out there was stop letting your differences define you. That, that, that was the crux of what I was getting at right there. All right, let's keep going then. 17. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. No discrimination. The furthest and the closest he preached to. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Okay, 19 through 22. I'm going to read these verses and I want you to receive them. I want you to be set free by them. I want you to allow the Lord to invade every disposition, every presupposition, every condition that you've ever set, every feeling that you've ever had that leads to feelings of insecurity and identity crisis and feelings that you are not worthy or the complete opposite, everything that you think you, what makes you worthy, everything that you think makes you righteous. He, here's what I want you to know, what Jesus Christ 
provided for you upon the cross. Consequently, you are no longer. I just, I wish that could be it. You are no longer. Fill in the blank. But within this context, here's what Paul says. You're no longer foreigners. You're no longer strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Listen, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord and in him. You two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Listen to me and listen to me carefully in Christ. Who you were no longer defines who you are. That's it. That's it. In Jesus, it's done. So stop allowing the past feelings of unworth and I'm not good enough. Try and define who you now are in Jesus. And on the flip side, stop trying to allow those lies of the enemy that are going to try and make you prideful and self-sufficient and egotistical and thinking that you're better than others. Stop ruling your life. In Christ, he has made everything equal. The two have become one. Aliens and foreigners. But then look at this one. He says Jesus is the cornerstone. Coming to an end. Thank you for staying with me. The cornerstone traditionally within Builders 101, Construction 101, was paramount for the entirety of the foundation to be built upon. Any kind of structure was dependent on the quality of the cornerstone. You see, when they built great structures back in this time, they didn't use brick and mortar. There was nothing to tie and cement the structure together. In other words, everything had to be cut just right. And listen to me, every brick that was laid upon it, the other all came back to one standard that was set, the cornerstone. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. The apostles conform to him. The prophets conform to him. Now we conform to him because when we conform to Christ, everything fits together perfectly. The unity that the world so desperately is trying to strive by passing erroneous laws out there that are blinding people to think that that's the hope that we needed. No, it's not. The hope is right here. The hope is in Jesus. Because you know what? It's in Jesus that we can say, I look different than you. I talk different than you. I have different problems in my past than you did. I have different hurts than you did. And we can all come under the blood of Jesus Christ because he brought us near. He saved us. He redeemed us. I don't need to conform to a pattern that's set other than the pattern that Jesus set for me. That's what I conform to. In Christ, you are. Who you were no longer defines who you are. Here's it. Here's the last thing that we're going to close with. The idea of what Paul talks about wherein we are now the temple or the dwelling place. Uh, this is good. It'll be good if I remember where I left off. All right. So the holy temple here, there are two words that commonly are used in the ancient Greek language, Koine Greek. 
to describe the temple. And it wasn't just within Judaism. It was within every religious pagan temple worship. So the word for temple, there, there are two words. I'm not going to bore you with how to pronounce them in the Greek letters. But specifically, one has to do with just the outer sanctum and the outskirts, kind of like the foyer and maybe the church basement and all those things. But the final, the, the, the other word, which is the final stop, has to do with the Holy of Holies, the innermost sanctum, which traditionally is where the presence of God dwells. Within every religion, all, all the false religions too, they follow that same pattern. There's this holy place that we dare not enter because the presence of God is there. Paul here uses the word specifically in reference to us. When we conform to the cornerstone that is Christ, when we allow ourselves to be built upon the foundation that is Jesus, and the two become one, it is then that the God of God, the Holy of Holies, his presence dwells within us. So here, here's what I need to, to really point out that I believe COVID-19 has been the biggest detriment to. Probably the biggest thing that COVID-19 has accomplished, or Satan, let me put it this way, Satan has accomplished through COVID-19, is isolation. It is. And there's been the temptation within Christianity to go to, to the word, especially within the book of 1 Corinthians, also written by Paul, who says we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then there becomes this, this, this strand that's of, of reasoning that's followed that, it's not a building, which is true. The church isn't a building. Look around at the people in here. That's the church, which is true. But then that's taken, and now there's this idea that Christ dwells within me. So therefore, I don't need to worry about feeding the necessity of community, of communal living. Because the Spirit of God dwells in me. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's a misinterpretation of Scripture. Paul goes on later in the book of 1 Corinthians, and he says, you are just one part of the body of Christ. You have one specific function that is meant to be used in service to the entirety of the body. And within Christianity, rightly so, we've had a lot of things that we have to be careful for. That's why we have masks in here. We're trying to social distance. We've got all these air filtration systems, everything. But the body of Christ cannot neglect coming together because it's only together that we are able to represent the true dwelling of the God of gods. So, the purpose of the church is for you to see how non-discriminatory non of a father our God really is. Otherwise, and listen to me, what does this have to do with gathering together? Well, think about it here today. You get to look around, you get to see a whole lot of diversity in here. That's how it should be. Without community, you can't see that. You don't know. Here's the bottom line. This is where we're going to close, and I'm going to pray. The church isn't defined by its difference, but it's the living. The church isn't defined by what makes it different. It's defined by its deliverance. The temptation is to constantly say, look how different we are. The church is set apart. 
don't hear what I'm not saying. The church ought to look different than the world. But within the church, it's not about focusing on what makes us different. We get to celebrate the fact that all of our differences, everything that once defined us, now gets to come under the blood of Jesus Christ that has delivered me from all of the pain, all of the hurt, all of the temptation, all of the brokenness, all of the trespass, all of the death. All of it comes under the authority of Jesus Christ who has set me free. I am no longer who I was. I am a new creation in Jesus Christ. He is my hope. He is my rock. He is my salvation. The church ought never to be defined by what makes it different. It's defined by what Jesus accomplished on the cross to make the two one so that those who were far off would be brought near. Church, would you stand with me this morning? Thank you. Thank you for gathering. Thank you for being obedient. Thank you for Teen Challenge. Thank you for the families that are represented here on behalf of Teen Challenge. Lord, thank you for the transformation that is happening in the year 2021. Thank you for lives that are being set free in Jesus' name. Thank you for demonic strongholds that are being called out and people are being delivered from them. Lord, thank you for the generational curses that are being broken in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you, God, for what you are doing and what you're going to continue to do that will not stop. Lord, thank you for the freedom that we have in Jesus. Thank you that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, I thank you. I thank you now and I pray a special blessing over specifically these men who have been experiencing the transformational work of Jesus Christ. I thank you, God, that you are the rock upon which they can stand. Lord, so I pray that they would choose every day to be transformed by that rock that is Jesus Christ. I pray that they would allow themselves to be built up upon that rock. Lord Jesus, I pray against every evil demonic power that's going to try to lead them back. Everything that's going to try to tempt them back. Everything right now that's causing them to be obstinate and angry and cynical and disobedient to what you are providing for them. I pray that they would receive everything that you are offering to them right now in Jesus' name. So that they would continue to have a testimony to be able to say, look at what God has done to me. So Lord, bless them. Thank you for them. God, I thank you for all of these that are here today. And I thank you for the work that you've done in, in this house today. Lord, I pray that you would bless them. Those watching online, I pray that they would be blessed. I pray that they would be rejuvenated. They would be filled with joy. Lord, when they feel like being stressed and depressed and overwhelmed with anxiety, Lord, I pray that you would show them that that is all completely given to you and you receive it and you provide what we need. When we need joy, you give it. When we need peace, you give it. When we need hope, you give it. Lord, so I pray that we would come before you and receive all that you offer us in Jesus' name. Bless us as we leave this place. Watch over us as we leave this place. And in Jesus' name, all of God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Come on, give God praise this morning.